For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk highlights the sunlight in the annual winter solstice. Then, Dana DePrima shares her Talk Farm to Me podcast from Tuckaway Tree Farms. We'll hear her conversation with Ashley Lada about Christmas trees and pumpkins grown in Petersburg, Pennsylvania. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country, after news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. More details are emerging about Israeli soldiers shooting dead three Israeli hostages. An Israeli military official says they violated their own rules of engagement in the fog of war in Gaza yesterday, mistaking the hostages for Hamas fighters, even though the BBC's Frank Gardner reports the hostages were holding a white flag. A preliminary investigation into yesterday's accidental but fatal shooting of three Israeli hostages has revealed the three young men were carrying a white flag on a stick when they were shot. Israeli soldiers, breaking their rules of engagement, shot two of them dead, thinking they were Hamas fighters. The third one was wounded and he ran away, calling out for help in Hebrew. He was then killed too by gunfire. Israel was already mourning the deaths of these hostages who'd survived more than two months in captivity, only to be killed by their own side. The BBC's Frank Gardner reporting the U.S. says it's discussing with Israel ramping down their fighting in Gaza and focusing on saving civilian lives. The U.N. finds severe hunger is rising sharply in Gaza during the war, but in a potential sign of relief, NPR's Jason DeRose reports another entry point is expected to open soon to allow in more aid. Nearly all households surveyed say their food consumption is either inadequate or poor. The UN report also found that hunger had driven almost half of all internally displaced people in the area to eat wild or raw food. The lack of water is also a significant concern. The assessment comes as a second entry point for humanitarian aid is supposed to open into Gaza. The Israeli government said it would allow food, water, fuel, and medicine to enter Gaza at the Kerem Shalom crossing between Gaza and Israel. Until now, the only aid coming into the besieged region was at the Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Gaza. Jason DeRose, NPR News, Tel Aviv. On Capitol Hill, talks are ongoing for a deal linking border policy to billions in aid for Ukraine and Israel. The Senate is expected to try to advance a bill next week. NPR's Giles Snyder reports. Negotiators are trying to come up with a framework on border policy that will end the deadlock. They've been meeting for hours this week on a deal that would clear a path for billions of dollars in aid to Ukraine and Israel. There's been no breakthrough so far, but Oklahoma Republican Senator James Langford says reaching an agreement will take time. Really, we've still got a long way to go and a lot of issues we're working through, but we're working through them methodically. Republicans are demanding tougher border security policies in exchange for the additional aid that the White House says Ukraine needs by year's end to continue battling Russia. The Senate delayed its holiday recess in hopes of clinching a deal, but the border policy changes being discussed have divided Democrats and House lawmakers have already begun their holiday recess. Giles Snyder, NPR News. This is NPR News.
Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, the accidental farmer, Dana DePrima, shares her Talk Farm to Me podcast from Tuckaway Tree Farms. We'll hear her conversation with Ashley Lotta about Christmas trees and pumpkins grown in Petersburg, Pennsylvania. But first, here is this week's Star Talk report highlighting the winter solstice. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farming Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. At 10:27 p.m. Thursday evening, Earth's axis will be tilted the furthest away from the sun for the year, marking the winter solstice. At its highest point in the sky, the sun will only be 25 degrees above the horizon. The solstice marks the beginning of the winter season for us. The good news for those of us who don't like cold days and long dark nights is winter is the shortest season. We measure the seasons as the time between a solstice and an equinox, or vice versa. The time between the winter solstice in December and the vernal equinox in March is 89 days. Contrast that with the time between the summer solstice in June and the autumnal equinox in September, which is 94 days. The reason for this time difference is that Earth is closest to the Sun in early January. As a result, Earth moves the quickest in its orbit at that time. The Earth's axis is tilted 23.5 degrees from vertical and is currently tilted away from the Sun. It is the tilt of Earth's axis and not the distance from the Sun that ushers in the cold temperatures. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year, meaning we see the fewest hours of sunlight. Today, we will see just 9 hours and 6 minutes of sunlight. The fact that the amount of sunlight we see fluctuates throughout the year is a result of the tilt of Earth's axis. Celebrate the winter solstice as the shortest day of the year. My email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Startalk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Welcome to Talk Farm to Me. This is the second best place to meet a farmer. I always think it's best to try your farmer's market first, but this is a really good alternative. Reaching farmers across the country on all different kinds of issues and crops, animals and challenges. This show is, generally speaking, for non-farmers to get to know some pretty amazing farmers. But I am not kicking you out if you are a farmer, don't worry. I know how much you love meeting other farmers too. Farmer or non-farmer, it's for people like you who care about your health, the environment, delicious food, and about having strong, thriving communities. And because of that, you want, we want, to better understand the lives and work of the farmers who contribute to important solutions and how they do that. 
It's a tall order, but the farmers and I are totally up for it. I am your host, Dana DePrima. I didn't grow up on a farm, and I'm not a real farmer, but I have walked a step or two in a farmer's shoes in the last 15 years on my accidental farm. And I know enough to lead us down this dusty farm road, you and me together, curious about what's going on and concerned about the future. Today, you get to meet Ashley Lada of Tuckaway Tree Farm in Petersburg, Pennsylvania. She and her husband, Jerry, own and operate a Christmas tree farm with some other seasonal crops like pumpkins thrown in to add to the holiday spirit. You know, once the pumpkins come out, you can hear people in the grocery store humming Christmas carols under their breath. So this is the perfect time to start thinking about your tree if you celebrate Christmas and understanding the business behind the evergreens. My husband and I bought this in 2020 and we first saw it in 2013. So it took us about seven years from when we saw the property till when we were actually able to make it happen. It turned out my pap knew the owner and he was looking to sell and years and years of kicking the ball down the road. And we actually got the opportunity in, in 2020 to, to close on the property. It had been a Christmas tree farm before, but they clear cut all the big trees. They had about three years of trees in the ground when we purchased it. We had a head start, but kind of starting from scratch on rebuilding and regrowing this farm. It really started because we fell in love with the property and we just wanted to have a place to be able to share it with others. So really having the the trees brings people out at Christmas time, obviously, but we also added some fall events and a pumpkin patch and we're doing that. And now we're adding some glamping opportunities to get people to the farm all year round. So just different ways to share this place we loved with other people. Tell me what three years of trees in the ground means. That's got to be a number. Yes. We have about, right now we have about 15,000 trees planted to date, but it takes six to eight years from when we plant a tree till it's about ready to be a Christmas tree. So they grow on average about a foot a year. So it's a longer term crop. So we had about a three-year head start, had some about three foot trees when we purchased. And so this was our first Christmas that we were actually open to sell trees and we sold a small number, um, nothing huge, maybe some five, six footers to some people, but we were able to start opening up again, having people know that we're here and we're growing and we're going to be here in a bigger way in the future. Do you have different varieties of pines? We do. So we grow a lot of firs for Christmas trees. So we grow um, a lot of Canadian firs, which are similar to a Fraser fir. We grow Douglas fir and Conkler fir, which are a white fir. They smell a lot like oranges. They're very popular. And then we have a few other varieties, but those are our main ones. And then we also grow Norway spruce and some other tree uh, white pines. We dig those a lot more for landscaping, though. So we'll dig them with the root ball. Some people get those for Christmas so they can plant it in their yard afterwards, too. When you're planting them yourself, you're planting little saplings. Is that how you do it? It is. So they're already probably three or four years old. So we plant them. They're called usually two twos. So they spend two years in a seedling bed, two years in a transplant bed. And then we get them and plant them in our fields for another six to eight years until they're ready to be cut down for Christmas trees. According to the National Christmas Tree Association, approximately 25 to 30 million real Christmas trees are sold in the U.S. every year. 
and close to 350 million real Christmas trees are currently growing on Christmas tree farms in the U.S. alone, all planted by farmers, and they grow in all 50 states. What's more is this. Christmas trees are priced at an average of $75 each and contribute to an annual $2 billion business. So this year was the first year that I've cut down a Christmas tree. My husband did not want to go. At first, he's like, I don't want to cut down a Christmas tree. I was like, but we could just go. And like, it's better than like, sometimes you go to a place and there's thousands of Christmas trees on the lot and they're already cut down. My family wants to like, oh, I don't know about that one. or no, I'm like, it's a tree. I love it. Just take it. This is the first one's great. They're very like sensitive about it. And um, so we went to Christmas tree farm and I handed him the saw and I got a little map and we went out to where the, I think we got a Frasier. There were different kinds, all sizes, little, big, et cetera. It's been around for a real long time. And it's the guy, it was his grandfather's farm and he's in his eighties. We took two trees actually. And so he came around and picked us up, but the Christmas trees were, they had a very long trunk and then we cut the top part. Is that something that you all do? Explain that to me. So we do cut some of the bottom branches off to have a a longer trunk. And then one of the reasons we do that is to keep the tree healthy. So if there's more airflow underneath, then they're getting more nutrients. We don't have to worry as much about too much moisture down there or bugs. So it really just helps with the tree health for us. And then it also helps for people coming that they're getting what they think they're getting. So if there's a lot of lower branches and you have to cut them off to get into your stand, your tree may look completely different when you get it home. So it's just helpful to have some of those lower branches, we call it basal pruning, cut off so that you can see what you're getting and keep our trees healthier. It was really fun and he's committed now. He's like, we're going back there next year. Well, and you get a very fresh tree if you cut it yourself, which is great. And for us, we don't have any waste because people are cutting their own trees. The ones that are wasted, so to speak, the ones that are cut down and never find a home, they become mulch or become part of a storm barrier in coastal areas. Still more of them become food for livestock. My goats love an old Christmas tree and make short work of the needles. So we don't have a lot that are cut waiting for people if we you know, overestimate how many people are going to buy trees. So it's helpful for us to do it this way. And it's, it's the experience. I love seeing people we had a few people, it was their first tree they ever cut down come out this year, which was so fun. And some people are so quick to pick a tree. And some people, I think, looked at every tree we have on our farm and need to wait for the right tree to speak to them. So I just love seeing the different families and how they interact and how they experience our property. Yeah, they all have a process, right? Everybody's got their own tradition. I had on reindeer antlers, so we had a lot of fun. That's perfect. Yeah, I love all the the people that dress up in the the costumes. It's been a blast. So tell me, are there tips for keeping trees fresh once you've got them in your Christmas tree stand? Really, the biggest thing is to keep it watered. So I I think if you let it dry out, it can form that sap layer on the bottom and it doesn't take up water as well. So water, water, water is really the key thing. I've heard that hot water, a little bit warmer, may help um, it absorb a little better and then not keeping it too close to a heat source. So we have a fireplace. We keep ours on the other side of the room. So it's not right next to the fireplace to dry out. But if you keep it watered, you cut it fresh, you should be set, you know, even from Thanksgiving, a month from Thanksgiving to Christmas or or longer. 
I usually have to bug my husband about mid-January that it, it's time to let the tree go. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what kind of tree did you all put in your house? We put a conkler up. We actually picked one that was a little more wild. I think our tree is probably 12 feet tall. So we picked a big one. So I'm still in the process of decorating. We just got the lights on, working on the ornaments now. We just cut our tree down on Sunday. So we're a little bit behind the game on them. Well, you know, the cobbler's kids go without shoes. So now what happens for you guys between, let's call it, you know, January 1st and next year when you're going to be selling trees again? Is there a lot of farm maintenance that needs to happen? January and February are usually pretty slow. We'll catch up on some of the pruning that we didn't get done if it's above freezing. So we'll wait till if it's above freezing and do some pruning then. But our season really kicks off in March. We'll start planting trees in March and April, get everything in the ground, all of our new trees, probably one to 2,000 trees, depending on how much room we have. Over the summer, I think beginning June for some of our pines and then July for our firs, we'll start rooting all of the new growth and new trees and then planting pumpkins, all of that fun stuff. And then it's all the maintenance, the mowing, weed control, monitoring for pests, just making sure everything all taken care of throughout the year until we get to the Christmas season again. And what kind of pests can harm Christmas? Lots of different bugs. We border state forests. So there's a lot of unmanaged trees around us. So we're watching for bagworms and, and different kind of bugs. We also have a lot of deer issues in our area. So that's something that we're cognizant of to working on some fencing for the future. But just anything that can damage our trees, groundhog, anything that, that causes issues on the farm. So I know that you have a little bit of a mission in addition. I mean, obviously you're selling Christmas trees, but... Is there a trend for people to be getting artificial Christmas trees now? Or how are you You're kind of bringing the Christmas tree back or helping it stay? We want to make sure that keep Christmas real. We are really big proponents as real trees are the way to go. They're better for the environment. They are renewable, recyclable. They're sustainable. We're replanting every year. And what we've actually seen an increase in the past couple of years of people getting real trees during COVID when people weren't traveling, we saw some growth in people getting Christmas trees, staying home for the holidays, wanting to have more experiences outside. So that has increased a little bit and we'd love to see that keep going. We are planting one to three trees for every tree we cut down. And while we're in this regrowth stage, our numbers are even higher than that. The trees that are growing, they they provide habitat for wildlife. They provide oxygen. I think the, the stat is every one acre of a Christmas tree farm is enough oxygen for 18 people. So just them growing is providing a lot of benefits during their lifespan. And after they're done, you can, we turn ours into mulch, but there's a ton of ways to recycle your trees. Some people put them at the bottom of lakes. Um, I know that some people feed them to their their sheep or their goats. So there's a lot of things you can do to, to really have full use of, of that tree even after Christmas is over. And how many acres do you have there? We have 36 and probably about 20 of them are planted with Christmas trees. And what's next for you guys? What's on the horizon? I'm sure you're, it sounds like you've always got your glamping, you've got your pumpkins. What's next in the on the back burner there? We really want to expand our retail space. So we have some renovations planned for our shop for next year. And we're also looking to add some more off-grid glamping sites to our farm. So we're looking at maybe an A-frame for next year as a place for people to come stay. So those are some of the bigger things. We'll definitely do pumpkins again, keep growing our Christmas trees. 
look at if we can, you know, do more re- production, retail, what we can do. But those are, those are the big things for next year. Tell me about your glamping opportunity. Like, how do I find it and what does it entail? So right now we have a platform tent. Um, so you can come stay in the tent. It has a queen bed with a mattress. Um, there's a fire pit. There's basically all the tools you need to come camping if you are. So it's basically a set-up campsite just to come enjoy. It's at the edge of our pond. It's a great view. And you can find it's on Airbnb. And then I also have the link through all of my social media website. But it's just a great way to come experience the outdoors and our farm, even if you don't own a tent or aren't, aren't a big camper. So you could just bring your sleeping bag or, or whatever you want to, to sleep in and you're ready to you have the firewood there. You're set for your campsite. <laughs> it sounds perfect. Now, let's talk about pumpkins for a minute. I'm a huge pumpkin fan. I, um, I've i always grown pumpkins in my garden, and I've discarded the pumpkins in my manure pile out behind my barn. And this year, I had 75 pumpkins. It was a lot. I used to have like, you know, 14 was a lot. And this year, yeah, exploded out in my manure and compost pile. And so I think I'm going to take the pumpkins out of my garden where they tend to take over my broccoli and my tomatoes and just go with the ones out um, in the field, which is exciting. But it's so much fun to have a lot of pumpkins. Tell me what you're growing. Our first year, I think we had some beginner's luck, and I just planted a whole lot of seeds in about a quarter-acre field, and I think we ended up in the realm of 500 or so pumpkins. I I didn't get a final total, but we had a lot. This year, I did not do as well. I got a smaller amount, and we brought in some other pumpkins, but I had a baby July 4th, so that kind of impacted my pumpkin growing season in my own gardening, looking forward to bringing back my pumpkin patch this year in a bigger way. So I'm excited to have a bigger pumpkin patch. Here is something you might not know about a Christmas tree farm. People think that they're just a special kind of tree that just looks like a Christmas tree. I think that people may not realize that we actually touch every tree every year to get that Christmas tree shape. So we're going around, you know, shaping the top, the leader of the tree, the sides to make it be full and you know, able to be that perfect Christmas tree. So I think it's it's a lot of work to to get that tree where it is. And I don't think a lot of people know that. It's right now just my husband, Larry, and I. So we have, we've touched every tree on the farm. So it's a lot of fun. And I think it's actually very relaxing, but it is, it doesn't just magically happen. I think that's so personal. It comes from you guys. And then people are out there scouring for their perfect tree. And then when they find it, yeah, we had a part in how that tree looks. So that is very special. And I love when people are sending us pictures of their Christmas trees decorated that they got from our farm. It's so fun to see what they look like. They all look beautiful when they get home and, and have all the ornaments on. But I love to see that. For me in the at the holidays, when I like to really get my tree up early, which is different from how I used to do it. But I love having it up early and just to be able to sit by it and have a quiet night with fire in the fireplace. On the other side of the room, before all of the, you know, holiday mayhem comes down and we just really enjoy it. We talk about it a lot. Like, oh, it's just so good to sit here. I love to keep them up as long as possible. But yeah, I think it makes your home feel so much cozier over the holidays, having a tree in there. We used to get our tree up very early. Now, I think we're a little bit behind getting everyone else their trees, but we keep it up as long as possible, too. We love to have the Christmas tree in our house. You can just walk outside and look at all the rest of them. Exactly. I think the other thing I get from some people say that you're cutting down a tree or, or ruining a tree's life by cutting down a Christmas tree. And I think that 
for us really it is a crop we plant it as a crop we're replanting every year there's a, a, a cycle of it and those trees wouldn't be there if we weren't planting them it's not like we're going into the woods and cutting down all the trees that are in the forest so I think that that's something that people may not realize. And the other great thing about our farm is it is mostly a hill. We're farming on slopes that are not really great for other crops, but they're good for Christmas trees. That's something that that we think is special. And we're excited that we're able to use our land for trees. And it's not necessarily going to be good for other crops. And those little seedlings that you were mentioning earlier, you get them from a source and bring them to your farm. Do you also sell those to people who might want to start a Christmas tree farm of their own? We don't. We get them from nurseries that specialize in starting trees from seed. So we we order them in from different sources, a lot of them from Michigan or other Christmas tree growing states. Pennsylvania is actually one of, I think, the top five Christmas tree growing states. And then we plant those. So we don't start anything from seed on our farm, but we do. The property next to us has an old seed orchard on it where they harvest the seeds to grow Christmas trees. So there are some older canine firs that they they take the cones, get the seeds out and extract them to grow the seedlings. And remind me which one smells like oranges. It's a conkler fir. Okay. I got to make a note of that. That sounds amazing. It is. We have got one in our house this year. When you walk in, it's a very strong smell. It's great. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. This has been another episode of Talk Farmed Me with Ashley Lotta of Tuckway Tree Farm in Petersburg, Pennsylvania. Remember, this is the second best place to meet a farmer. I still think it's a good idea to meet a farmer in person in your own local community, like at the farmer's market. I even have a guide with 22 pages of tips and ideas that will help you navigate any farmer's market better. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and since you are still here with me, I think you did. You can add your own recommendation for Talk Firm to Me on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Talk Firm to Me is a pivotal part of the Four Farmers Movement, where sharing farmers' stories is integral to its mission. Four Farmers also dispels myths, unpacks buzzwords, shares key facts, and awards grants to farmers every year. Thanks for being here on the farm today talking farm and filling your insatiable curiosity about what's going on with farmers so that we can all better understand and deconstruct our concerns about the future of food, soil, farming, the environment, and our local communities. I can't wait to dog farm with you again. I'm your host, Dana DePrima, and this is Talk Farm to Me. Shop local, eat local. Here are two farm market stands that are available now in our area, with vendors offering a bounty of holiday items and good ingredients for our shopping needs. The Main Street Farm Market in Honesdale is open Saturdays 11 a.m. until 1 p.m., now through April, and is located inside the Cooperage, 1030 Main Street, Honesdale, Pennsylvania. The Mustard Seed Cafe will serve you diverse, fresh-cooked menu items with ingredients sourced locally from the farmers. 
and the Calicoon Market operates inside the Delaware Youth Center, 8 Creamery Road in Calicoon on Sundays, 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. Details at calicoonfarmmarkets.org. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guests, Accidental Farm Girl, Dana DePrima, and Tuckaway Tree Farms owner, Ashley Lata. Dana DePrima shared her Accidental Farm podcasts, which are available on our website, wjffradio.org. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions providing tools for action and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Hi, I'm Kathy Geary, host of Now and Then. I just want to wish you and your family a Happy New Year. From all of us here at WJFF, thank you for listening. Have a safe and festive holiday season and a happy new year. There's a pervasive theme.